Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement, as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder. That's fit, period, responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Hey there, welcome to the Very Poorly Made Police Memes Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny. I got an interesting podcast for you today. A little shorter than normal, that's what she said. This episode, I speak to a former cop, a former supervisor, now porn star, adult actress, whatever you call yourself in that industry. That's her gig now. She made national news, and I will put a link or two in the podcast description so you can read beforehand or read afterwards. Because she was found out, and there was an IA, and there's a whole bunch of drama. She came on the podcast. She told her story. I think it's pretty clear. Anybody that's listened to me for a long time, seen my memes. I'm a fairly open-minded person, but I, uh, I think that's one of those things you probably shouldn't have an OnlyFans and be a cop. That's my humble opinion. However, I am definitely not the uh, master of what's wrong or right. Plenty of people could look at what I do now and say I'm just as bad. So I will let you guys make your own judgments. I tried to ask the right questions so you guys have all the information and you can decide for yourselves what you think about it. And if you're curious about her after listening to this, you can find her. She has a website, therealbellalexi.com. And then she's on Instagram. Also, therealbellalexi2 on Instagram. So that's it. That's what we got here, folks. Buckle the fuck in. This is an interesting episode. Obviously, give thanks to our good buddy Ted from Fit Responder putting on the show for us and as always let's play a little music we're gonna play shanna jackman she's been on here once before and this is her song answer the call and we'll be right back with the podcast
All right, now welcoming to the podcast, I have Melissa, who's a former cop out in Colorado, but you may have heard of her for other things, but we'll get into that. How are you, Melissa? I'm well, how are you? I am uh, I am just living a dream down here. I guess to, to introduce you a little bit, Melissa came to, uh, is it safe to say a national spotlight because of what happened with you? I would uh, say global. so. It's global. global. Yeah. global. <laughs> Look at you. Maybe you're the biggest guest I've had on the podcast yet. Came to global spotlight because she had an OnlyFans and then there was some drama with her police department. We'll get into all of that later. But first, let's talk about you a little bit and your policing career. So how long were you a cop for? I was a commissioned officer for almost 14 years. I was in law enforcement for 28. Okay. Now, when you say commissioned and then not commissioned, were you like working in the jail, uncommissioned, that kind of thing? Uh, So I started as a civilian and then I was sponsored to go to the police academy um, and then I became a police officer. And then I, I did work for a short stint in the jail initially transferred agencies and worked uh, the street as a patrol officer and then as a supervisor. Okay. And all with one agency, right? Uh, no, actually, I was with five agencies over my entire career, but most of my policing career was at one agency. Okay. What was your drive and why to get into law enforcement? <laughs> it's actually really kind of a funny story. If you ever saw the cops episode I won't say when it was because that will tell you how old I am exactly. But uh, there was, it was called the Trojan horse and a bunch of cops jumped out of the back of a El Camino and made an arrest. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I never got the opportunity to jump out of an El Camino, but that was what made me decide that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. You know, of all the cars that they brought back, why didn't we fucking bring back the El Camino? I need some answers. Right. I don't know. It's crazy though. But yeah, it was very popular back then. <laughs> Did, are you into Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and all that stuff? No, I've tried like five times to watch Breaking Bad and I cannot make it past the episode where he jumps out of his camper in his underwear. Yeah. Once you get past that, you're good. That's that's like how you make or break if you're going to get into the show. But gotcha. there was a, a spinoff movie, El Camino, but it was kind of oh. disappointing in the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of El Camino in the movie. I was kind of upset by that. Well, probably because they only found one on some tow yard. <laughs> probably, yeah. So you, just out of curiosity, what kind of stuff were you doing as a civilian in the policing world? I worked in records, and I was also a 911 call taker dispatcher. Out of those two jobs, which one's better, in your opinion? I'd say the dispatching was better. I had a chance to work for five years at Denver Police Department. It was a really great experience. It definitely helped develop me and my skills for when I became a police officer, I feel like, because I encountered so much critical stuff. I kind of learned how to better compartmentalize some things and learn how to work through stresses. I think records would suck. Just for the pure, simple fact, I know how I was on the street is I was like, ah, good enough. I'm sending it through. And you know, there's all the, what do they call them? Like the Nibers errors or whatever. Yes. And That's how the- cops can't write worth a darn. Hold on a second. Terrible. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, so you, when you were doing it, it was handwriting. It wasn't computerized. No, there was handwriting. And then we had a typing pool. They had um, many recorders that they would record their reports on and then it would go to the typing pool, but all their tickets and stuff, everything was handwritten. Oh, yeah, I guess we still handwrite. Yeah, that is true. I remember being an FTO. My uh, FTO said, yeah, you can't turn that in. You need to. And they always, 
I, here's some inside baseball. I don't know if it depends on your department, but technically if you cancel out a ticket, even if it wasn't issued, you're supposed to like go through all these steps. Well, yeah. Most people just fucking yeet it. Nobody fucking does that. But in FTO, they make you do all that shit. So that was a learning experience to fucking write nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't even think they test when you're hiring anymore. I feel like that used to be, I feel actually, well, uh, whatever. I tested a long, long time ago. And that yeah. was one of the things was writing. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Wait till they see my handwriting. That's going to be a problem. Well, yeah. Now it's how many words per minute can you type? Yeah. And I, I always feel bad for the the old guys that are just basically, you know, the, the peckers. Yep. Pun intended. Just yeah. one, <laughs> one at a time. Yeah. One letter. Yeah. All right. So yeah. you did the records thing. You did the dispatching thing. And then you uh, moved on to the road. Yes. How long were you on the road before you promoted? Two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. That's but a pretty figure, short time. I had been in the field for a long time and I am of the philosophy and obviously my agency was too, that it doesn't matter your time and grade. It, that's not what makes you a leader. What makes you a leader is your ability to, you know, mentor and help other people, to teach other people, to make good decisions, all of those things. So just two and a half years doesn't necessarily make you a bad sergeant because I also had a very well-rounded career prior to promoting. Okay. That, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that though. I feel like a lot of agencies have a, like a five-year requirement before promoting, but I guess it depends on the agency. Yeah. Did you have any special assignments when you were on patrol or just straight patrol time? I was our FTO coordinator. I was our CIT coordinator. I had a lot of plate spinning I was kind of the one punishment by performance. Oh, give it to Williams. She'll take care of it. So I had a lot of different things. I had my hands in, in addition to coordinating those things. I feel like there's a joke to be made with that, with the, what we're going to talk about later, but I'll leave that alone. Both, both <laughs> but all right. So you promoted the Sergeant. Was that all on patrol or did you have any special assignments in there too? No, that was on patrol. And then I wanted to promote two lieutenants. I was told, okay, well, you need detentions experience. I was like, well, I had that at my last agency. They're like, no, you have to have it here. So I transferred into the jail and nine months later, I was promoted to lieutenant. And how long were you lieutenant for? Two years. Two years. Okay. Out of all the jobs you had in law enforcement, what would you say your favorite one was? Patrol sergeant, hands down. Why would you say that? I loved watching cops come in and learn how to do the job and be good at the job. I loved when I would go on a call for service, they were maybe stumped or whatever. I drop a line and then three months later, I'd be covering them on a call for service and they would use the same line because they found it to be effective or, you know, just watching them grow and knowing I had a little bit of part of fertilizing that seed and, and teaching them to become the cops that they were. I mean, how can you not be proud and how can you not love that? What was the worst job? Line deputy in the jail. <laughs> and we've had jailers on the podcast, but I don't know why anyone would choose that career. That just being stuck in a jail seems all day seems like that would really suck. It, it did. It was a means to an end. Right. And it was. It was terrifying to me to have to go back to the jail. Obviously, it's different as a sergeant and as a lieutenant. You're not dealing, you know, face to face all day long with the inmates. But I also was a lead by example. And so if we didn't have enough staff, I was down serving meals and dealing with the inmates. I was down 
you know, doing laundry exchange, helping toss cells, you know, because every agency is so short. But I was like, I'm not, if I can't show my guys that I'm willing to do their job, then how can I expect them to do their job for me? So I did, I did a lot of boots on the ground kind of service, but it's not the same when you're not in there all day, every day. So you were a cop also in Colorado, like I was. What, what are, were your observations over the last 28 years as, as far as the job changing? Because in my perception, it changed a fuckload, even in the eight and a half years I was on the road. And then my dad was a cop. So I kind of had seen things through proxy. What did you see as the big changes in law enforcement there? Oh, it was very different. In fact, I was an explorer for four years before I graduated high school and got my first job. And, you know, back in the early 90s, late 80s, cops were tuning people up and, you know, acting crazy. And then we transferred into the kinder, gentler, which obviously, you know, there's the time and the place for things. But then I think the pendulum swung too far. And I also feel like the community began to have less and less respect for law enforcement and, you know, the whole defund the police and all those kinds of things. I mean, yes, I've watched the trials for a lot of these cops who've done wrong things. And trust me, a good cop hates a bad cop more than anyone else does. But I think we all got lumped into the same category. And I think that's unfortunate for law enforcement. And I think that was truly the thing when it became acceptable to assault police and it became acceptable to not comply and things like that. And I think that was truly when my family started to be like, hey, we want you to get out. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. That's all I knew in my life. And, but it wasn't what I signed up for anymore. I didn't sign up to be a mental health worker. I didn't sign up to be, you know, a, a firsthand EMS provider. I didn't sign up for all that stuff. So I signed up to help people and I signed up to, you know, make a difference in my community, but I didn't sign up for all the rest that came with it in the last 10 years. Do you think back in the day, cops took it too far? Because you mentioned tuning people up. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all read the stories. You know, you talk about the things that went on in the New York Police Department with the bunny and the hose or whatever. I mean, obviously, those things were should have been unacceptable and inappropriate. I think that there are going to sometimes be cops who don't understand the boundary of what's appropriate. I mean, I've had to go hands-on. I've never had an excessive use of force complaint. I've never been accused of that kind of thing. I've never had any kind of accusations of racial profiling or anything like that. And I'm not saying that that makes me perfect, but I think that some guys and gals don't know how to use the authority that they've been given. And that's really unfortunate. And back then there was a lot of them doing it. I like how you said that. I like the way you put that as far as people don't understand the authority they've been given. I think that's a really true statement. And I think law enforcement has gotten better in that regard. It's never going to be a perfect profession. And I know people get upset with hearing that, but no profession's perfect. There's going to be the bad apples, which people get upset about that, but it's a thing. But I, I do think, and I'm not defending it, but I think it was a different time, you know? Mm-hmm. Where things that society did in the 50s and 60s was just that was accepted and that's that's what we did. And then, yeah. you know, we we became enlightened. And we're, all right, 
we're not going to do that anymore. And then I think that's kind of how society grows. So it is interesting because, and I've even made memes about it where I, I make fun of the nineties cop for beating the fuck out of people in alleys. But now nineties cop, who's now, you know, a captain or a commander is writing people up for yes. saying fuck during it, during a, a struggle. So it's, it's kind of humorous to me that they would do these horrendous things. But then I think you have to also look at it with, can you judge somebody for doing something that, we see as wrong now but wasn't seen as being wronged in the past that's just a rhetorical question it's kind of hard to answer sometimes i think well and it's it's ironic because you know i got promoted and a week later i ended up supervising the same people i was working district car with and we went on a call and i was like no we're not doing this and they're like really sarge because last week you were pushing the line and you would have done it last week and you wouldn't have called the supervisor for advice and I was like, okay, well, there's your first answer. You're right. I wouldn't have called. I would have just done it. And second of all, now I'm vicariously liable for what you do. So no, we're not doing it. And I think, I think that's where you see the changes when people, as you say, start to promote, they start to realize, okay, well, now I'm responsible and equally held accountable for what you guys do. And that's when you start to see that change. And some people say it's drinking the Kool-Aid. I think it's just a new awareness of the responsibility you have as a supervisor. I, I guess to kind of transition into uh, the meat and potatoes of this, and uh, I, I have to give credit where credit's due because you didn't have to do this. You know, I, I know that we're probably going to disagree on some stuff and, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I do appreciate your willingness and I will give credit where credit's due is your willingness to come on. And mm-hmm. I think what my podcast has been kind of all about forever is, there's always two sides to the story. We may not agree on everything, but I had hoped we could have a conversation about it. But I, I think it's, um, to say the least, it's really an interesting conversation about your circumstance. And I, I guess to get this out of the way, is it fair to say there is some stuff we can't talk about because we can't talk about it because it could potentially have some legal ramifications? Is that fair? Yes, that is fair. Okay. So everybody kind of keep that in mind as there's always, as always, and you guys should know this if you're cops, there's fucking always more to the story. But let's talk a little bit about the OnlyFans thing. So how did that all start? It started around the beginning of COVID. And it started as something kinky that my husband and I thought would be fun just to see, right? Because it had been in the news and whatever. And it had always been something apart, or I guess you could rather call it a part of what we did was exchange pictures and things like that with each other through our entire relationship. And so he's like, well, let's just throw it out there and see what happens. And so for the first year, I never, he never posted anything with my face. And then it just kind of, he just kind of stopped doing that. And it was interesting because it went from four to a hundred to whatever. And it was making money, but it was never really to make money. It was just something that was part of what we did. It just expanded on, on our sexual relationship. I never thought anyone would ever find it. Honestly, I didn't really have anything much to do with the page other than knowing that he had it. And I honestly didn't care because it wasn't anything that I felt was, was wrong, you know? And I had people who would come to me in the jail about other employees oh, so-and-so has an OnlyFans. I'm like, okay, well, are they in uniform? 
do they identify where they work? Do they identify who they are? They're like, no. I was like, okay, great. Then I don't care. I've been to trainings put on by Caliber Press. If you have an employee who posts sexually explicit photos online, can you or should you do anything? As long as they're not identifying who they are, it doesn't matter. We've had numerous discussions about it. So based off of all of my training also, it was like, okay, there's nothing to be, nothing to be done here. And so when my story blew up and someone reported it to internal affairs, I was like, wow, okay. And ironically, the person who did it was a former best friend of mine. You know, I was like, okay. And then internal affairs turns it into this gigantic thing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, uh, there's cops out there cheating on their wives. Everybody knows about it. There's all these other things going on. So why is a couple of photos on an OnlyFans page, such a big deal, right? And it was the end of the world. And so, you know, obviously some cops have an opinion that it's wrong and some cops have an opinion they don't care. And a lot of cops have an opinion of, fuck yeah, and they follow my page, you know? I mean, it's, you get a mixed response from everyone in the field. So I don't know, some people think it was wrong. It never affected my ability to do my job. I had that page over two years before it was discovered and it never changed the kind of supervisor I was during that two years. I was still grooming great cops, the cops I was training to go to the road. And I say grooming, not in a twisted, whatever <laughs> way. I mean, let me clarify that. Yeah. But I was grooming and teaching and mentoring cops to go to the road. In fact, our jail success rate of um, deputies going to the road and actually successfully completing the FTO program went up. My team, I didn't have any cops come back. And so the fact that I was doing really big things and then all of a sudden I'm the worst human and supervisor to walk the face of the earth was unfair, I felt. All right. Well, we'll kind of, we'll go through the numbers and I have a few questions to ask, obviously. Yeah. So when this started, this was like kind of a thing for you and your husband, right? Yes. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it was a, your idea or his idea? His idea. Okay. <laughs> And you were good with it. Totally cool. Let's fucking do it. Right. Yes. Okay. Now you said the you said the first year it didn't show your face or anything like that. What, what changed? Did he just post something different that showed your face or how did that dynamic change? You know, I don't even really know when it happened and when he had told me. I'm assuming that when he started to show my face is probably when the page started to make more money, you know, because people are curious and, but it's like, by the time I found out it had already been going on. So like, really, what, what do you do then at that point? It's already out there and there was no fallout. So it's like, okay, cool. Like whatever. Um, you know, but I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a lot to do with the page because I was working so many hours at the time between off duty and then just you know, extra hours in my position that I just really didn't really have a grasp of what was really going on on the page. I trusted my husband implicitly. Okay. And just out of my own curiosity, the early days of the page, I mean, how much money was it making a month? Like a couple bucks here and there if somebody clicked on something or, or what? Yeah. Yeah. It was not very much. I think on a big month, it was like $100. Uh, and honestly, I want to say he had told me like at the highest that I knew it was like $400. I was like, Oh my God, like, 
here's my first response. I was like, really? People are that interested in, in me online to pay $400 to see pictures of me? I was like, this is so crazy, right? Like, you know, well, I think I, you lose your feminine recognition as a police officer when you wear men's pants, men's shirt, men's boots. You work with all men. I think you lose that femininity. So the fact that someone would want to pay to see me that way was mind-blowing. I was going to ask this later, but since we're here, I, I, I'm kind of curious. I am, and maybe this is more of a statement than a question. I am dumbfounded that people pay for porn. There is so much free porn on the internet everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can't believe people pay for it. I think they pay for the chance to get to know someone. That's what makes OnlyFans different than you know, your mainstream porn is they can message you and you respond and they feel some kind of connection to you and your photos and whatever. And I think they realize that you're a real person and, and it gives, it gives you value as a creator and people crave a human connection. And especially during COVID, I honestly think that's why people do. And they weren't going to strip clubs right? They weren't, everything was closed. So it was just another outlet for, for men and women to make a connection with someone outside of their home or work and still indulge in some of the nefarious interests that they have. Has it hurt business that strip, I assume strip clubs are open. I don't know if you got to wear a mask or not. You probably should have worn a mask to begin with at a strip club, but that's another story. (laughs) They're back open. Yeah. Has that, have you noticed a slowdown on business online because of the strip clubs are open? No, not at all. In fact, I have some dancers who uh, I'm coaching. So they double dip, they dance and they have OnlyFans. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't at that point. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing. A lot of people quit dancing and do OnlyFans because now they don't have creepers touching them and whatever, you know. Um, I think that's where the big switch happened too is clubs are struggling to find dancers to hire because girls can make more money on OnlyFans. Now, you mentioned the creepers in the strip clubs. Uh, I guess to me, you still have the creepers, except I guess they can't touch you. No, they can't touch you. They can't breathe on you. They can't follow you to your car. You know, they can't follow you around anywhere. You know, and I have my fair share of people who you know, are concerning, but I also know that most of them are out of state. And if anybody showed up in my house, obviously I can handle myself, you know, which puts me in a different position than some girls, but there's just a difference between in-person and online for sure. Let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm trying to find the right way to articulate this question without it sounding too weird and as an attack, because it's not the intent. But I mean, how do you feel about knowing that there's fucking weirdos that get off on watching you does it bug you or you're like hey 10 bucks is 10 bucks all money spends the same and it was interesting i went to exotica to promote my page in august and it was different to meet people in person who wanted their picture taken with me or wanted a signed eight by ten from me because you know their interests or whatever but they were super cool in person like oh my god i can't believe i get a chance to meet you I follow your page regularly. You know, they would tell me what their username was. And some people I knew because you interact with them a lot. Some people I didn't know, but they were just so respectful when they came to meet me at my booth. 
And yes, you know what they're doing when they're not in front of you, but they just have mad respect for what you do. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there, honestly. Now, is Exotica like Comic-Con for porn stars? Uh, I've never been to Comic-Con, but it's a big convention, which I have, I believe is what Comic-Con is. But yeah, a lot of people who indulge in the sex industry, whether it be sex toys, uh, all the major porn producers were there. So I'm assuming it's probably the same as Comic-Con. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my good buddies over at V Development Group. Not only do they have the great medical gear that I've talked to you about, they've got holsters, they've got belts, including the belt of Thor. You heard that right, Megan Yord, a belt designed for concealed carry. In addition to all this awesome gear, they've got awesome t-shirts and coffee. You heard it here first, folks. Coffee that every cop truly needs. That's my friends over at V Development Group, the educated end user's choice. You can find them at vdevgru.com. That's V-D-E-V-G-R-U.com. And I'll have a link in the podcast description. Now, back to the podcast. Now, getting back to uh, where we were, just to clarify, this wasn't something like, oh, shit, we're hard up for money. We got to do this kind of thing. This was just purely strictly for fun. Yes. If you make a couple bucks, you made a couple bucks. Correct. And then... Over time, it just kind of got a little bit bigger. Yes. And then, so there was an IA complaint from a friend, right? Uh, yeah. You're welcome to come on the podcast, too, if you're listening. Because <laughs> I'm all for hearing all the sides. So right. what was the complaint? That I painted female law enforcement professionals in a bad light. And that most women work really hard to be in that field. And I was diminishing their hard work and that it was inappropriate and should be considered conduct unbecoming. Which conduct unbecoming, I know you're from Colorado, so you'll probably get this reference to me is the catch all policy, kind of like careless driving can kind of catch every bad piece of driving conduct unbecoming. A lot of departments, departments have that because it's kind of a a catch-all where they can maybe get you on something that's maybe not verbatim in their policy manual. Yes. Did you guys have like, not to get like into the drama, because this isn't, you know, real housewives, but did you guys have some kind of quarrel where like she was upset with you or did it kind of come out of nowhere? Uh, It came out of nowhere. In fact, uh, I had introduced her to her now husband. Uh, I helped her get into law enforcement. I gave her a reference to get hired at her agency. I was at her academy graduation. I've been at award ceremonies for her. And then we had kind of just fallen apart. She was in a new marriage and whatever. And so this just totally came out of the blue. But when I read my initial, I knew it had to be her. And you caught me off guard a little bit because I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize this was a, a thing. I mean, I, I know people have OnlyFans, but when you were working as a supervisor in the jail, you it was brought to your attention that other officers had OnlyFans? Yes. Males and females yeah. or just females? Females and even some of our vendor employees. We have different vendors who help in the jail say, and I'm not going to say which vendor, but we have the library, we have um, the kitchen, we have medical, we have uh, different mental health providers that come in, we have all of these different um, AA providers and 
you know, GED providers, all these people who come in who are not on staff at the jail, but do come in and provide services. So it was our employees as well as uh, vendor employees. And as a supervisor, based on your training and your your opinion on the policy, it wasn't against policy because they weren't, you know, in uniform or anything like that. Correct. Which I never was either for clarification on any of my stuff. I was identified by a different name and I was a stay-at-home mom with a side photography business. Okay. To get to the complaint, let me ask you, because I was actually going to ask this too, because there, I think there is a perception among female officers, fair or not, true or not, but perception sometimes is reality that it can be tougher for females to make it in the law, law enforcement field. And I've, I've kind of beat this with a dead horse in my podcast, so I'm not going to do that again. I, I think, you know, in my opinion, I think lots of people's opinions, if you can do the job, it doesn't matter who you are, whatever, just do the job, you're good to go kind of thing. But right. there are some people that feel that females can't do the job. I'm not one of them. But what do you, what, I mean, what would you be your response be to that, that question is being on OnlyFans, it, it makes it harder for females to make it as a cop. I don't think so, because it should be based on your performance at your job. I had to claw and fight and earn my way to be a supervisor, to, you know, to make sergeant, to make lieutenant. And it didn't come easily. And with every promotion, it comes to the rumor, oh, well, she earned it on her knees. She earned it on her back, whatever, whatever. I can tell myself and everyone else, I worked my ass off. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that. A lot of personal sacrifices were made and things that I can't ever get back with my family, but that's what I wanted. And I worked my ass off. And so none of it had to do with anything that went on outside of work. It was all work related, you know, and I had to earn my place on my team and I had to show that I was a good cop and that I can handle myself. You know, uh, nobody knew what was going on in my personal life outside of there, you know, back in 2013, it's work is work and home is home. Well, and and I guess the point I was getting at, or I guess where my question was kind of going is you don't, not to put words in your mouth, but you don't see an issue for any anybody on the job to have this kind of thing going on on the side, you don't think this would distract from their work at all? No, because it never distracted from mine. So I have to assume that people can manage their personal life and their work life. You know, I don't, I don't go out and target guys on my team who I know are actively involved in an affair with one of their partners at work knowing that their wife is at home, a stay-at-home mom taking care of their three kids. It's not my place to go to his wife and say, hey, did you know your husband's bone and so-and-so on our team, right? And well, him, that's and a him. moral dilemma, is it not? Well, you know, it's not my place. I'm not in their marriage. He works for me. She works for me. And what they choose to do outside of work, fine. I don't want to catch you guys in the mop closet, you know, doing whatever. But you but have you to. Did, but if you did catch them in a mop closet, then the problem solved. Well, then you have yeah. to take care of it. And then things escalate, obviously. Yes. But rumors are rumors. And, you know, I mean, I it's not my job to police anyone else's bedroom. So if it's happening in your bedroom, it means it's not happening at work. Well, hopefully. I mean, right. And my work situation, my job as a supervisor is to manage work. Well, let me let me pose it this way, and we'll use that example of the cheating spouse. 
as far as like somebody I want to cover on a call and, and I, real quick before I get there, I'm not saying necessarily being on OnlyFans is poor judgment mm-hmm. just before we get there. But if I'm, if I want a good partner, if I want somebody that I can trust on a call, you know, if they can handle themselves is important, but part of being able to handle themselves is good judgment. So, you know, I would run across guys all ever so often that, I don't know if they were actually banging other people. They would brag like they were, but that showed me this person doesn't have good judgment. Sometimes I don't have a choice whether to go on a call with them or not, but mm-hmm. I'm going to probably avoid them if I'm looking for somebody to come with me on a serious call or somebody I need to trust with something because they've shown poor judgment. Now, coming to the, and I guess that would be my, my point in all of that is the OnlyFans thing, like, don't get me wrong. I believe this is America. You can do whatever you want to support yourself and and do your thing. I'm not saying, I mean, you know, we could have a whole argument about heaven and hell and porn being bad or evil or whatever, but I'm not comparing porn to prostitution, but it's like the cousin to the oldest profession, right? It's, it's been around forever. Okay. I'm not, we're not going to change that. That is never going away. No matter what anybody wants to say, it's always going to exist in one form or another, but I think it's fair for people to say, is this in the best judgment to be doing this on the side when potentially there could be a conflict at work, whether it's something as simple as, you know, somebody recognizes you on the street or somebody recognizes you in the jail. Were you ever worried about that? No, because I never figured anyone, I never figured any of our consumers of our services would be engaging in, in that. So I honestly never anticipated that. Uh, Here's the other thing in my argument to that, which I respect where you're coming from, absolutely. However, comma, it had been going on for two years and people were voting to work for me and wanted to be on my team. My team was filling up before any other sergeant or lieutenant. And so they didn't know and they respected me for my professionalism and my you know, ability to handle my own. And if we had to scrap, I'd scrap. And if I had to talk someone down, I would talk someone down. Like there was this mad respect going on for me. And then suddenly the next day after it was all discovered, suddenly now I was this terrible cop and everything else. And I'm like, I don't understand because for two years when you didn't know, I was, I was someone people wanted to work for. I never had problems going overtime on my team. Like if they didn't get to work my shift, they would work for me for overtime. You know, I'm on all these committees, you know, to better our facility, to work on new legislation that had passed. And all of a sudden now, none of that counts for anything. Glowing evaluations, recommendations to do special things. And now all of it's gone. Well, and I'm not saying it's fair. Because it's probably not fair to be completely Mm -hmm. honest with you. But if I was somebody that worked on your team and I had this enormous amount of respect for you, and then all of a sudden you were doing that again, I'm not saying this is fair, Yeah. but life is not fair. My perception would be like, well, wait, wait a second. This is for me as a cop, it's kind of embarrassing to our profession, fair or not. So Mm -hmm. I don't think those people were necessarily... I'm going to be, I'm trying to be really open-minded about this because I can see where you're coming from because what I'm a big believer in what happens in your own damn room 
happens in your own damn room. The problem is, you know, it was kind of going out to the internet, but I could, I, I understand where you're coming from saying like, well, okay, well, what I do at home, I do at home, but I also can see where the guys and gals in your team are going, well, well, wait a second. This kind of paints us in a bad light. Is that fair? Or am I off base? I think that it is fair to a degree. However, I mean, we could talk about sex clubs where I myself have seen command staff from metro agencies at sex clubs where you believe in the mantra, what you see here stays here, who people would, I suppose, would be stunned to know what their command staff is involved in in a public place because sex clubs are public versus just their bedroom, uh, you know, and I mean, to be fair, I think we all assume that commands all a bunch of dirty old men, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I know so exactly. I hear what you're saying. I hear exactly what you're saying. That level. They're in public. And so if I was to go to work and be like, oh, my God, do you know so-and-so from whatever agency? Dude, I totally saw them. We went and checked out some sex club and they were there and this is what they were doing. They would probably turn around and high five that guy the next time they saw them. I think we're on to something here, but I wanted to take one step back really quick just to make sure I, okay. I have the full picture. Yeah. You said that your your former friend, I guess, I assume you guys aren't buddies anymore from no. Castle Rock, which mm-hmm. if anybody's never been to Colorado, it's not a castle. I don't know why they call it Castle Rock, but that's mm-hmm. a different story. Right. How did she find out? Well, I read my file and she had four, four different reasons of how she found out or four explanations of how she found out and none of them were none of them were explored and things I learned in interview classes and things you learn to apply pressure where pressure should be applied and get clarification on things and how someone could discover the same thing four different ways is very puzzling I can say that I I agree (laughs) uh I I can kind of read between the lines. I know you got to be careful on what you say, but mm-hmm. I think nevertheless, she did find out about it though, right? Yes. So everything was cool. And then it came to light. Did the whole department know spontaneously or how did everybody on the department know about it? If it was just an IA complaint? It was leaked. It was leaked from the investigation. I mean, people knew like immediately and Internal affairs should be one of those things different than investigating a crime on the street, I feel like. It's something that should be confidential until the investigation is completed, right? I mean, why do we sign the document that says you won't talk about your interview uh, while the investigation is going on? Or I'm just saying in general, internal affairs, those are things that you do, right? You I get agree. clarity that compels you to speak. You sign a a document that says you won't talk about your interview. Uh, all of that is supposed to be under lock and key to have a fair and impartial investigation. You talk to anyone, that's what internal affairs job is. So how it was leaked out and photos were shown, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Well, I'm going to go on a little rant, if you don't mind, about yep, internal absolutely. affairs. Because... I've observed that too at my department is people would be NIA for something, but all of a sudden everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't give me much faith in the system that 
God forbid I'm involved in, in something like really personal at home that probably, probably doesn't have effect at work, but they have to take a look into it or, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid, you know, guys have substance abuse issues and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that's stuff that needs to be, or mental health issues. Does that need to be spread throughout the entire police department? No, no, I don't think it does. I, I think there's a caveat to all this that I'm a big believer of accountability, you know, and, and I, I, you know what, let me go one topic at a time before I lose my mind. But what with IA, uh, that shit drives me nuts. Is these guys are supposed to be the guys that are taking care of this professionally, but then they tell their buddy who tells somebody else. And that's where the high school with guns comes from, right? Yes. And that's, that is a problem within law enforcement. But I, I got to be honest. I, I mean, not that I've had a ton of experience outside of the, the career field for a long time, but that's just how it is anywhere, right? People can't mm-hmm. keep their fucking mouth shut when it's, if it's too good, they got to fucking tell somebody about it. So they feel good about telling people about it. I think everybody's guilty of it. I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. not shared a rumor before. I, I know I have, mm-hmm. but we, we need to be better about it. Everybody, you know, there's a time and place. If somebody tells you something in confidence, don't fucking go run and tell everybody about it. They told okay. you in confidence for a reason, unless it's a, a safety issue. And right. then for all the IA rats out there, keep keep it internal. Nobody fucking mm-hmm. needs to know. That's your job, internal. Mm-hmm. Keep it fucking inside. That's that's my rant on all of that. But you brought up something earlier I, I wanted to talk about that I wish that we wouldn't just accept in our society is the cheating and running around and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, giving people high fives and shit like, oh, cool. No, that's yeah. not cool, man. That's not. It's not. I, I don't know, you know, I got a big mm-hmm. problem with that. So I think that goes into the whole accountability thing is, you know, you're a police officer, you're a professional, you're supposed to be the standard, you're supposed to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want you to say better than everyone because you're not better than everyone, but you're supposed to hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah. Going around yeah, cheating, <laughs> all that shit, it's it's not holding yourself to a higher standard. It makes you look like a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my, my two cents on that. Yeah. I guess what happened next so it gets leaked to every everybody so everybody knows do you are you like sent home are you working while the ia is going on what happens i'm working and then of course i start to hear rumors about things that are going on and mind you there's a lot of other moving pieces going on underneath all of this at the same time And finally I hit my breaking point and knowing what I know about the profession, I was like, I'm not in the right mind space to be at work. Like you have to be in the right mind space and be ready for anything. And I was not there. I was distracted by what was going on now. I was distracted about all the rumors I'm hearing about myself. And so I ended up taking FMLA time because everything culminated at that pinnacle moment. And I was like, I'm not in a place where I can take care of my people or myself. And I had no shame in admitting that, which is very difficult for cops to do. You know that, uh, to admit that you're not in the right mental space because you fear, okay, well, probably the only fencing is the last thing I have to worry about because now I'm going to get a fit for duty and I'm going to, you know, then I'm thinking, well, it's better for me to say, you know, cry uncle, I can't do it anymore. I'm about to break. But then I was afraid that 
once everything cleared or whatever, then I wasn't gonna be able to come back to work because now I was too crazy. I, I wasn't well. Um, but I, I did, I took time off. I got into counseling. I was seeing a counselor three times a week. And in the midst of all this is when all of the trauma from 28 years comes up and you're sitting at home and you're worried about your job and you're worried about what people are saying. And then all of those demons come to the surface. So in addition to dealing with the immediate stress of what's going on, I'm dealing with shit from 10 years ago in my career that I've been carrying around and ignoring, right? Because I have nothing else to do but sit there and fret and worry and, and let all those things come, come to my mind. So it was a very difficult time. I didn't want to think about some of the calls I had been on, the things I had seen. And, you know, um, it was very much a breaking point for me, very much. And then, you know, in that all happened in August and by late September, early October, the media is calling, hey, we, we got a story here. And I'm like, there's no story here. I'm like, please don't do this to me. A of all, I'm fragile and B of all, I don't want my kids or my family to know what's going on. Well, I'm gonna have to talk to my news director. Okay, well, I'm telling you there's no story here. Uh, then a couple months later, oh yeah, my news director says this is a story. You have two options. You can get on camera and do an interview or you can release a statement, but we're running with this story. So of course I go to my attorney. I'm like, we got to stop this. And she's like, there's no stopping it. So it's determined that I should do the interview for local news media. Now that's when there were fires and all this stuff going on in Colorado. So from September, October-ish, to January 5th, I did the interview and the story still didn't come out until the 25th. So whoever leaked it to that news station grew impatient because then I received a call from international media about the story. And international media broke it at 5 a.m. that morning and local media broke it at 9 p.m. that night. Are you sure that your department leaked it? Uh, I have never said that it was my department. I said someone leaked it. Okay. I someone don't know. Okay. And obviously the media has their right to not reveal their sources. Um, so I can't tell you for sure who leaked it. I don't know. And at first it was, it was a really difficult time. Um, but I've made lemonade out of those lemons. And so now I don't know if I should still be upset or if I should be thankful, <laughs> you know? So well, I was going to say, and I don't know if it'll make you feel better because we, we talked a little bit before we did this podcast and I was thinking about that. I can't, you know, I don't, I obviously, I don't know. I didn't work in the same department, but I know in Colorado with the, those local news stations, they will go around to every single department and they will do freedom of information acts on IAs. Yes. So potentially, and I'm not, I'm not like, you know, letting somebody off if they leaked it, but that potentially could be a, a thing that happened is let's be honest, news story, news picks that up. What are they fucking it's going to sell, right? Holy shit. Cop with an OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. and this is a bunch of drama. Hell yeah, we're going to pick this up. Yeah. I I did want to, because I, I know the sheriff's office didn't really put out any statements much, except they, I think there was one quote I saw from the sheriff, something like, you know, that basically, you know, you were doing all these interviews for attention to try and grow your business. But what you just said, kind of contradicts that so you basically you did these as this is basically what i have to do because this is kind of the choice i have is i either keep my mouth shut or i tell my story correct and 
it's one of those we're all human, right? And so the guy who pleased the fifth, everyone's like, oh, what is, what is that guy hiding? I didn't have anything to hide. I know what, I know what we did. I know what people think. I never claimed to have not done it. So it's one of those, okay, well, here's, here's what we did. This is why we did it. And this is where we are. Is everyone going to agree with it? No, I don't expect everyone to agree with it. Uh, did I hurt anybody? Was anyone hurt in the making of those photos and release? No, other than myself. And so, you know, it's, I guess it all comes down to someone's morals. Well, if you don't like it, don't look at it. If you don't want to hear about it, don't listen. If you don't want to give it steam, don't talk about it. And so initially I was really, really upset. I was crushed, but then I was like, okay, well, what do I do? Do I sit here and just have a pity party for myself and be like, oh my God, my life is over. Or do I pick myself up and do I find a way to make the best of this? Like I've always taught the people who've worked for me and find a way to, to turn it around into something positive, which I've done. And I have some really big plans going forward to, to help a lot of people based on my experience. And so did I ever think that this is what I'd be doing? No, but honestly, it's more rewarding because it's genuinely received and the opportunities that have been gifted to me by sharing my story and people wanting to hear and the emails and the social media messages I get from, you know, women in this industry and the thank yous and the appreciation and has been incredible. And so I now have a new tool to help a new community of people. So realistically, all that has changed is, is the community that I serve. I'm still serving. It's just different, right? I was going to ask, and maybe it's stupid to ask now after what you said, but if you had a time machine and you'd go back, would you maybe not do the OnlyFans or would you even change anything? You are the first person to ask me that. <clears throat> and I think that I've never answered this before, but I think that honestly, if it was to have happened to anyone, I guess I'm glad it happened to me because I was able to turn it into something positive and it didn't destroy me where it may have destroyed someone else. And so no, I don't think I would go back in time and change anything. I think that it just put me in a different direction and it gave me more opportunities because I was already looking at getting out of law enforcement. It just pushed it a little quicker. So I think that all told, it was meant to happen this way and I, I wouldn't change anything. Okay. What? If that makes any kind of sense. No, it we all have our own journeys, I suppose. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to judge anybody. Well, I mean, occasionally, but <laughs> let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. What is like friends and family? Has that been an issue at all? Are people pretty understanding or has there been some issues with people being like, well, what, what the hell you're doing this now? Um, I think that what you find is that honestly, um, my family, we don't talk about it. 
it's kind of the elephant in the room, right? Uh, we don't talk about it. It's not something that we focus on or dwell on. And I think as far as friends go, they don't hold it against me. Like, I think that I do me, we don't talk about it. And it's just one of those things. So now when my book comes out, I'm sure there will be people like, oh, wow, which is not my story for the record. <laughs> I'm actually writing a book completely unrelated. I think that people will realize that it ended up being a gift and allowed me a lot of opportunity that I would have never had. And then we can talk about my book and we cannot talk about OnlyFans. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. lot easier to talk about me being a published writer than it is to talk about OnlyFans. So well, I think, and I've talked about this on the podcast before is, uh, the United States has kind of weird values sometimes where, you know, like the shit that kids can watch, you know, gory graphic shit, right? Mm-hmm. If there's a fucking tit on national TV, holy crap. Right. Holy shit. A yes. tit. Or, you know, we have like, oh my God, somebody's breastfeeding in public. Oh my God. It's it's a weird thing. And so we kind of have these weird taboos and, and porn's kind of this weird taboo too, where I think at least now, I think the, um, the humor and the generation of guys and gals too, that I'm part of, like, you know, we joke about OnlyFans, we joke about um, Pornhub and all of that stuff where I don't know, I can't, I guess I can't speak for the older generation. The internet's a weird thing, but mm-hmm. I think genuinely, if I had a neighbor I was like, oh, yeah, what do you do for a living? Well, I do OnlyFans. I'd be like, oh, oh, really? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And all right, I might make, I might snicker and make jokes. But when I say that, though, I think we are allowed to kind of think things are silly. But, mm-hmm. but with the understanding of, all right, that's their thing. They can go do their thing. I'm not going to. But I, I think we also have to recognize, as far as your story goes, I see – you know, I, I think it probably started innocently enough, like, all right, hey, we're going to do this thing for us. I, me personally, and I'm not, you know, the judge and jury, maybe OnlyFans wasn't the right direction to go that, but, you know, there's other forums out there. But, hey, that's that's not for me to judge. But yeah. it's one of those things I think eventually you were going to get found out. I think it's just either through curiosity or somebody stumbles upon it or whatever, some there's, I, I think sometimes with the best intentions, shit just kind of comes out and it, and yeah. it happens. Right. I can see why the police department was like, eh. and I, they never fired. They didn't fire you, right? You left. Correct. I retired. So, okay. You retired. So to this point, we don't know if you would have been fired or not. Do you think they would have fired you? I can't speak to that. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what would have happened. Okay. I, on one hand, I'm a big believer in do your thing. It's in your house. It's, you know, whatever you're off, you're off duty. But I also, I totally get where people are coming from that would maybe take an issue with it is I I think for me, and and I'm not trying to uh, stand on my soapbox here and say I'm better than anybody. I left, you know, I'm not on the job anymore, but it, the job is important to me. And the job has taken so many, so many bad things have happened over the last couple of years where people have tarnished the badge. In my opinion, going on OnlyFans, is it tarnishing the badge? Uh, yeah, it is. It's not kneeling on somebody's neck for eight and a half minutes. Is it something that I agree with and I think is good? No, I don't think it's good. And I can see why people, your department would take issue with it because 
I think there is a potential for some kind of conflict, right? Where, you know, when like in the jail, like, you know how some of those guys are in the jail. If they, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the inmates, yeah. you know, if they find out that kind of stuff, it's going to make, make it harder for you to do their, your job. And so I can see how that could be a distraction for the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see how, you know, female officers could have like, what the hell, man, I, I worked this hard for this. And now somebody's, you know, they're, they're doing porn. And so it kind of like, and I'm guilty of it too. Like you see the memes about how people are only getting, and you brought it up earlier, people are only getting to special assignments or getting promoted because they're sucking dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of plays into that, that hand of that. And then I, I think you also have the factor of, I mean, like I look at the, here's what's interesting. I think you'll think is interesting. A long time ago, I did a poll on the, the web, on the Instagram. What's worse, a cop with TikTok or a cop with OnlyFans? You know mm-hmm. which one came in worse? TikTok. TikTok did. Okay. <laughs> we live in an understanding society, but I, I can see how people would take an issue with it. I will say though, I'm I'm glad you came on it and talked about it and gave your account of it. We might not agree on it. I but I I do appreciate that, you know, you came in and said your side of the story. It is difficult to get on a show. It is difficult to talk about about the situation, you know, because it does bring up emotion from around when it initially happened obviously now I'm really one year out from it being discovered last week was the one year of the email that was sent and I'm in a completely different place and for that I'm thankful I'm thankful that I didn't let it drag me down I'm thankful that it didn't ruin my life uh you know and I'm thankful for the opportunities I have to move forward and the impact I can make. So I think that's what I want people to know is that, yeah, this happened and yeah, you might not agree with it or whatever, but it goes to show you can overcome anything, you well, know, and, and that's what's important to me is to get that message out there. And I think we, we probably disagree on whether it was a mistake or not, but I think that is a great point is if you make a mistake, which we'll, we'll put in air quotes for the circumstance. Yes. Uh, yeah, you didn't see my air quotes there, but yeah, they're yeah. there. <laughs> they're there. Okay, so you can make a mistake and you can persevere and go through it. And I think that's sometimes the problem with law enforcement is if you fuck something up, you're known as the person that fucks something up for a long time until you somehow make it right. Or someone fucks up worse. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you about this real quick before we get into my fun, dumb questions. I, I guess one bitch I do have is... On your and I don't know if you present it this way on uh, OnlyFans because I don't have OnlyFans because I do not pay for porn. That's a different <laughs> story. Is on your Instagram you you have yourself labeled as Lieutenant Lexi Bell, and I guess for me I'm like, well, shit. Now you're, it's like, you know, like the cop stripper thing is a thing, right? I was thinking about this. Sorry, right, you have the cop strippers and all that stuff, but to be a former cop yourself and then the kind of, I don't know, to market. Like, hey, I was a cop and now I'm a porn star. I think that's, it's kind of pooping on the badge a little bit. Is that fair? It's fair for you to say that. It's um, actually it's Lieutenant Bella Lexi. Um, what did I say? Uh, Lexi Bella. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. Lieutenant Bella Lexi. And here's the thing, is part of my story. And it's, I guess, yes, I am marketing it because it's part of how I got to where I am. So I, some people are going to view it that way, but don't follow my page. I, I don't know. 
Well, if you don't I have to, I have to live my life. And so, so sure you can have that opinion and I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize you for it. That is your opinion for sure. Have you heard from anybody that used to be on your team about all of this and how they felt about all of it? Have some people who have been very supportive, who tell me all of the shit that gets said and but the people who have a problem with it have never had the balls to reach out to me personally and tell me that they have a problem with it, which I find very interesting because if you have the balls to talk mad shit all around the jail and all around people that I used to supervise and work with, then you should have the balls to confront me personally, right? Whether it be text over social media, whatever I've heard from none of them. So I look at it as, okay, well, if you can't even have a, a difficult, uncomfortable conversation with me, then I shouldn't value what you have to say either. So um, obviously I'm disappointed from people who have saved their careers that I haven't heard from. I'm disappointed about people who I really helped that I haven't heard from, but honestly, I'm not surprised either. So it's the whole thin blue line, right? We are, you know, blue sticks together, blue is family. We always have each other's back. Uh -huh. Jokes on every cop. Someone doesn't like what you do. They're not there. They don't support you. I'm one of the few lieutenants that I know of who would reach out to people who retired underneath me and check on these cops one month into their retirement, three months into their retirement. Right? Well, I mean, to be completely so, fair, though, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I could see how you let some people down with that. Right? And so they're like, what the fuck? And they don't know what to say. So it kind of puts them in a weird spot. You know, it, don't get me wrong. Like they're, the, the profession's not perfect and there, there's some, some shit going on for sure. But I, I do think, I think part of the, the problem with the brotherhood is I think sometimes it's misunderstood. You know what I mean? And, and I think, I think you can't shit on somebody for being like, well, I, I, I'm not cool with this. I, I, I can't, you know what I mean? Like you can't expect someone to have your back if they're like, this is, this is wrong. I don't, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my two cents on it. Well, they also shouldn't run their mouth and then subscribe to my page and pay to buy things from me either. Well, money all spends the same, right? That is it fucking does. weird to be it honest. Does. <laughs> uh, you know, it's amazing to me. People who wouldn't talk to me after the whole thing, but yet they identify themselves to me on my page and try to have pervy conversations with me. It's just mind blowing. This the whole thing has been a true mind fuck, honestly. And I've just learned you can't predict the unpredictable. So how do you know it's those people? Because they tell me, hey, LT, I used to work for you on so-and-so. And then I've already heard from a few people who communicate with me, hey, XYZ was talking some mad shit. And the next thing I know, they're subscribed to my profile, identifying themselves as that person and saying, hey, are you ever going to post anything like this? Huh. So, you know, I guess everybody has a dark side, right? I suppose. <laughs> since we're talking about that a little bit I, I remember in one of the interviews you did is you took kind of an issue with you felt that and don't don't even put words in your mouth but this is just how I, I recollect it is that IA was just bit, kind of being perverted about it do you want to explain that a little bit or am I did I misinterpret that I think let's see how can I answer this I think that some things could have been verified or investigated a little differently there may have been some special accommodations 
for this one. I guess is the best way for me to answer that without. Okay. Now, I mean, I I hear what you're trying to say. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be negative, and I don't want to um be disparaging in any way. So I think that a formula is a formula, and it should be followed all the time. I get that. E equals mc squared. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I I think we've uh, come to the conclusion of all this stuff. I like I said before, I you got your side out. I talked about my side and people can kind of make their own decisions about what happened. The end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for some of my dumb questions? Sure. Have you listened to my podcast before? No. Oh, you're going to get hit with a good one. Okay. <laughs> It'll be way more awkward than everything else, but let's talk about uh, some other stuff first. Okay. What was the stupidest thing you ever did as a rookie cop? Wow. I did so many stupid things. I think the stupidest thing I ever did was I went in on a call for service. I should have waited for my cover on and I found myself in a very scary situation. Um, and thank God I'm a talker because I bought time, but that was probably the stupidest thing because I really could have been killed and I got lucky. So wait for your cover kids. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. Don't, don't think you have the world by the balls. Cause you don't. What is the proudest moment of your career? I would say when I graduated the police academy because I was going through a divorce at the same time and all of that. And I think that was the most proud I was. I was going to school and also going to the academy and it was something I really wanted. So I respect that. This is normally a one part question, but we're going to go through with the two part question here. Would you want your child in this day and age to be a cop? No. How come? because they should be a firefighter and get paid to sleep. No, um, <laughs> I, because it's just not, it's too dangerous. It's not as well-respected as it was when I became a cop. And I, I want better for my kids. I want them to be safe for their families. I want them to, to be something that is respected. Um, so I would say no to a police officer and no to politics. What what about getting into the, uh, I don't want to call it the porn industry, but getting into the, I don't know, what, what do you call your industry? What's the PC way to call it? The sex industry. The sex industry. What do you, I mean, obviously as adults, would you have an issue if your children are in the sex industry? No, I wouldn't. If they're of legal age and that's what they want to do, I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to always like what my kids do, but I'd probably rather them be in the sex industry than in law enforcement. What the fuck? Wow. Okay. All right. I'm uh I'm about a lot of things on this podcast, but probably the weirdest fucking thing I'm about is humanizing shitting your pants. Have you ever shit your pants? No, but when I was a district car, my partners and I had a a promise to each other that if we got into a shooting and one of us shit our pants, we would shuck our own pants and give them clean pants so when they went to be interviewed or whatever after the fact they didn't have to do it in shitty pants and I got each of my district partners a pair of clean underwear to carry in their pursuit bag you know that's the surprisingly the weirdest turn this story has ever gone (laughs) okay you know I I remember them talking about that in one of our training classes in the academy is like hey look you're in one of these situations fight or flight Mm -hmm. um, and you're so focused on everything else you might piss yourself and you might shit your pants Yep. I remember taser. I was really worried about that when they tased us if I was going to shit my pants. 
Right. Um, I w- I'd be curious how many people have uh, been in an officer involved shooting and shit their pants. I haven't really seen any studies on that. Yeah, I don't know, but that was and any of my guys who were involved in the, an officer involved shooting never shit their pants. But that was the one year my district partners and I we we came up with that and that was our our thing for the year is we would take one for the team. So, in your opinion. What is the best patrol car of all time? The Crown Victoria. All right. You, we see eye to eye on that one. My first one, my first Crown Vic, the car number was 187. And I was like, oh my God, I just got the biggest gift in the entire world. And I drove the shit out of that car. And by far the best handling patrol vehicle ever. Well, I think this about concludes this fairly poorly made police podcast. Do you have any words of wisdom for all the uh, millions of people that'll listen to this someday? I think just be true to who you are. And even though some people might not like who you are or try to put you into a box at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself. And if what you're doing is not illegal and doesn't maybe necessarily fit into someone else's box, it doesn't make it wrong necessarily. And you have to be true to yourself so you can be there for your family and for your friends. Fair enough. Well, with that said, folks, you guys know what to do. If you guys want to continue to get these very poorly made police beams podcasts, click the link at the end, become a monthly donor. It's like an OnlyFans, except you don't get to see my feet or my boobs. <laughs> Wait, real quick. We got it. We got to address that. Feet okay. pics. Do people fucking pay for feet pics? Is that a oh. fucking thing? Oh, yes. You'd be surprised. At the feet fetish world. It's that is thing. fucking weird. Totally yes. fucking weird. <laughs> well, beyond that, uh, you guys know what to do. Buy some merch. I got some fun coins coming out. And then, uh, of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast because without them, I couldn't do this. And make sure if you patronize them that they know that you were sent there from me. With that said, remember, it's all bullshit. And I love most of you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>